Weekly Signals, every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. Join me, Mike Casper, and Nathan Callahan for the best in reality-based radio. That's Weekly Signals. Check out the website at weeklysignals.com. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good evening. You're listening to KUCI at 88.9 FM in Irvine and streaming online at KUCI.org. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm this show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity and From Victim to Victor, a step-by-step guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft. Mari's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues, and you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly, Geraldo, uh, Montel, lots of other shows, and including her own uh, 90-minute PBS television special called Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. So to learn more about Mari's work, visit identitytheft.org. And to learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Evening, Mari. Well, I have a fun guest tonight. We have read her columns in the Orange County Register, and we've talked to her on the phone and heard some of the incredible sagas that she's been through lately. I like and we're her just snappy little column. Yeah, I it's very cute. It, it is fun. It's fun. So let me tell our audience about a wonderful new friend that I've met, and she is just a ball of fire, and you will hear it tonight. We're going to be talking with Amy Alkin. Amy Alkin is an award-winning syndicated columnist whose funny but reason and database weekly advice column, The Advice Goddess, appears in over a hundred newspapers nationwide. Amy has been on numerous TV shows and she's had a lot of radio appearances, including Good Morning America, CNN, MTV, Nightline, Politically Incorrect, and Dennis Miller. Right now she's completing a book for McGraw-Hill on the collapse of public manners called Revengerella. One Woman's Battle to Beat Some Manners into Impolite Society. Amy considers identity theft the height of bad manners, and she sees financial institutions with apparently lax security measures in the same similar light of bad manners. But she has some exciting and really depressing as well stories to tell us, and we're going to have her on right now, so thank you for joining us, Amy. Thanks for having me. Amy, first of all, Tell us how you became a syndicated columnist. It it actually was sort of an accident. It started out as a joke. In New York City with two friends, I went out in the street corner. We set up chairs and a a little magazine rack for a table and a cardboard sign that said free advice. (laughs) And the truth is, we actually would would have preferred to charge for advice, but we figured no one would give us any money, so we made it free. (laughs) And, you know, New York, people are just supposed to look at us and laugh and think it was funny. New York free they lined up around the block and you know this just started this thing and eventually it became a newspaper column and then I syndicated my own column I wrote with my partners at first 
and then syndicated my own column to papers around the country. For those who are in our audience who haven't read your column, which if you haven't, you really should, it's funny. Tell us about your column. Well, actually, people write to me because they, they get to a point where they're so desperate and they have no place else to turn, and it's free, or maybe they've read my column and they like my advice. I'm very take-no-prisoners. So, you know, with those columnists that sort of coddle you, I'm not one of them. Right. I'll tell you straight. And also, my, my stuff is actually a lot of the time based in anthropology. I go to anthropology conferences. I even presented at one. So it's a far cry from the street corner because I figured, you know, I'm telling people what to do. I better know something. Well, I've read your column, and I see that people tell you very private and confidential information when they ask you questions for advice. Some of the people even share very intimate information with you. Why do you feel they're, that they're willing to do that? Desperation. <laughs> it really is. They're really at the point where they have no idea how to solve their problem. And either uh, I, sometimes it's that I'm cheaper than a therapist. They turn to me or they like my advice again. But they turn to me and they have to tell, they have to spill in order to get the information to me that I need to solve their problem. So it's that, that's the real trade-off. But even though they do it public, they, they still are anonymous in your column. I mean, people don't know their name and their address and where they live. So that, right. that, it's private at the same right. time. Well, I will also change information, you know, just sort of not change it so much as hide information, omit things. If I think that someone's going to be um, publicly embarrassed in their town, if they live in a small town and they describe their gallery or something like that, I will um, sort of omit mention of the gallery because I do try to protect people and, in fact, shred the letters I get because I don't want to um, leave people open to being, you know, having people find out about their information they wish to keep private. And you and I have talked about privacy and how important it is to you and how important it is to me. And there, there are many types of privacy. You know, the right to be left alone. And then the one that really affected you recently is the right to control your personal information. Oh, yeah. And this is called information privacy for those of you who are listening out there. So, Amy, your own privacy was violated when you became a victim of identity theft. How did yeah. you find out that you were victimized? Okay, so I'm on deadline for my column. It's Tuesday. I'm in a panic. I don't have my last paragraph written. The clock is ticking and the phone rings. And someone asks, is this Amy Elkhon? And now I'm not like other people in just doling out my private information. I'm very careful. So I wouldn't even say yes. I said, who's calling, please? And someone said, oh, I'm calling from Bank of America in Dixon City, California. And um, I'm wondering, have you had fraud on your account? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, my stomach drops. But I think... No, I'm not like other people. Surely this has not happened to me. Just to give you one example of how I'm not like other people, I don't write checks, but I write to checks to maybe my assistant and my landlord, like three or four people in my life. If I ever have to avoid a check, I write all over it in black magic marker, and I will shred it. But before I do, I tear off the account number and burn it in a steel dish in my sink and then flush the remains down the toilet. You're smart. <laughs> Thank you. Well, so the idea that I would have some type of fraud to me was very unlikely. Right. Well, okay, so I tell them, hold on. I go on the Internet and I go on my B of A account, and oh, my God, my account my book advance has been cleared uh, out of my account. I lost $12,000 within one single statement period, seven separate occasions. Uh, These people at Bank of America gave out thousands of dollars of my money to women who had only a fake driver's license with the wrong expiration date in my name. Right. 
So this woman who called you was was she worked for the bank, and yes. she noticed something herself. Why this didn't is amazing? Yeah, this why didn't somebody notice it the first time? Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, the reason actually, as I found out, I've investigated this for months. That Bank America, you know, they talk about having multiple layers of security. This woman Betty Reese, who's their spokeslady, said that in a media interview with Wired. And you know what? Their multiple layers of security, as far as I'm concerned, appear to be asking the thieves whether they'd like your money in tens, twenties, or hundreds. <laughs> right, right. Because, I mean, I never would have banked with them had I known that they would not verify signature, look up the signature, um, ask for a bank card, have you put in your pen. You know, I mean, there's so many ways to verify things. And seven different times, none of that was done which suggested to me that this was not just, you know, a teller with a hangover, but bank procedure. Right, because it was in several different, it was all in different banks, right? Different states. And this is totally off pattern for me. As I said, I'm very careful. And so with my identity information, so I don't write checks. I use a credit card for everything. I pay my bills by credit card. And you never use a debit card, which we say is so dangerous. No, it's terrible. And I only take out $200 once a month at the branch, about almost under a mile from my house. And these withdrawals were in Texas, in the middle of California, places I have never been and will probably never go. And, you know, they have what we call a neural network, which usually would determine if there is some unusual activity. Apparently, it didn't catch on until seven times later, right? Now, this woman who did catch it, did she catch it while the woman was actually in the bank, or how did, how did she call you? Yes, and you know what? Their network didn't catch it. What happened was this, the thief, who happened to be um, this woman with missing teeth, a woman comes out to take thousands of dollars out with missing teeth. They didn't think, like, oh, I wonder if she really, you know, might be like a crack addict, not a woman who has a lot of money in the bank. Right, right. <laughs> she goes to this first teller. If she had a lot of money, she would have gotten her teeth fixed. Exactly. <laughs> well, you know what? I wonder if that's what she did with the 12 well, Maybe she did. Maybe you did good, good deed. <laughs> right. So she goes to the first teller who doles out $1,500 of my hard-earned money I'm a middle-class newspaper columnist. That's a lot of money to me. Yeah. She does it, gives that out, and then she moves over to go take money. That was my checking, I think. She goes to take money out of my savings at the next teller. Uh. The teller asked her, oh, can I see your driver's license? And the woman, for some reason, she just shown it, she balked. This is, this is on the word of the bank assistant manager, Debbie, from Dixon City. Um, she balked, and she made mumbled some statement like, oh, well, I'll just pay my mortgage out of my checking account, and bolted out of the bank. So at that point, this is now on, this is Friday the 23rd. I get the call from them on Tuesday. So I don't actually even know if they figured it out, because why did it take them Friday, Monday, Tuesday to pick up the phone? Maybe they only figured it out then. I don't understand why they didn't call you right then and there when she was standing there. Maybe, you know what, I suspect, I don't know, but why wouldn't they? Maybe they, at that point, didn't even figure it out that there was fraud. They just thought, oh, okay, that's fine. You know, right. not that this is odd behavior. Who goes and takes money out in two different stops in one bank visit? Right. You know, and with the missing teeth? Right. And 
When I asked the bank assistant manager, I said, I'm sorry, missing teeth. You know, do you look at a woman like that? And yeah, think, she shouldn't you know, judge you. You shouldn't right, be judging exactly, her. <laughs> exactly what, right. We talk, I, I had this conversation with you about that. Yeah, she said, we don't like to judge people. And I said, you know, when it's your money, don't judge them. When it's mine, ask a lot of questions. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, goodness. So, so what did she say then afterwards? After she told you and you said, oh, my gosh, I'm looking at my account. There's $12,000 missing. What happened then? Well, she told me I had to actually finish my column. I asked her, um, you know, what I do next, and she said, you need to go close your account and change the account numbers, or to move it, change the account numbers, basically reopen it. So I went, as soon as I finished my column, my assistant and I normally work the rest of the day, I just ran to the bank and went through this horrible process where I'm sitting there and they have a fraud person holding and they're trying to get them on the phone. And you're sitting there wondering, I was wondering if I was going to get my money back. I don't know why that first lady didn't actually get a fraud person on the phone for you right then and there. No. And say, we're going to call right now and close this account and put that mo- and, and notify you that we're going to put that money back within 24 hours. Yeah, well, you know what? Wouldn't that have been nice and good business in the way things should be? It was not like that at all. And in fact... I was shocked. I've been with Bank of America starting when they were Security Pacific. They bought that bank. But I've been with that account for almost 20 years. Right. And I never would imagine that a bank, a big bank like that, would behave as they did with me. It was so unprofessionally, time after time after time, just with that thing you mentioned. And then the way they treated me in the wake of this at every turn. They well, let's horrible. go back a minute. Let's go back because okay. we're going to get to that. But okay, yeah, you know, everybody thinks, and and this is why it's so important that we do this for people to listen. Everyone thinks if you're if you have a check and you have a signature and you have a driver's license that they're actually going to check that signature and verify it because they have your signature card on file with the Bank of America and they have com- computers. You would think that they would have that signature on file that they could pull up right on their computer and verify if this is the same signature, right? You would think. You would think, but it, did that happen? Well, no. And actually, I found out a huge bombshell about Bank of America, certainly in the state of California, probably for every consumer customer in the United States. I believe from my investigation that every consumer customer in California and probably in the country is in substantial danger of identity theft. Uh, because Bank America's computers are not connected. All these banks they've bought, they are not connected by one massive computer, computer system. It, it's so incredible to me. So when you go to a bank, these women who went to these banks in Texas and Dixon City, California, and Auburn, California, they didn't, they, I believe that they didn't check signature and all these things because they can't. Right. And Debbie from Dixon City, when I asked her, didn't you check my signature? She said, we couldn't access the computer. And that was this little thing my brain filed away. And later, when my boyfriend was in Detroit and went to LaSalle Bank, which is now Bank of America, that they bought about a year ago, um, he went to find out if he could put his paycheck and it would clear instantly, like in California. And they said, we won't be online with Bank of America until October. So they were telling him they weren't connected. And I found this time and time again, I actually called Bank of America's phone lines, and a woman there told me that California was not connected by computer to the, to the rest of the country. It's a separate system. Right. And so this means that basically 
I mean, if I'm correct in my investigation, that they basically hope it's you, right. which is so insane and so reprehensibly negligent. And it means that basically you take the hit, perhaps because it's cheaper for them to pay you back the $12,000 than do the very, very expensive work of connecting banks, many, many banks that they bought and merged with by computer. Well, you know, they, they are connected in terms in some ways because you can go to an ATM in this country or any country and take money out of the bank or put money into the bank. Certainly. So they do have that kind of networking. You would think that if they're going to be absorbing all these banks and acquiring all these banks, that they're going to have to do something to make it customer-friendly for their customers and also to protect them security-wise. It's so incredible. But see, ATMs, I think, and tellers, I'm not an expert on this, but I believe they're different because I can go to a bank. If I bank at Bank of America, I can go to an ATM at a 7-Eleven in New York City and take out money. I suspect that that's some kind of different kind of network. What they have on the back of your card is this a Cirrus network or a something network. Right, right, yeah, yeah. But at tellers, um, I was told by a bank lawyer I talked to in the South who's at one of the ten biggest banks, that their banks, she, her bank merged with another big bank. And she said the banks, the, the, the paperwork and everything was transpiring, but the merger, um, the day the merger went official, any teller could access any account anywhere within the bank. And that Bank of America doesn't do this. And it's not just in like the LaSalle Bank, you know, the, the recently bought ones, which still is wrong. My neighbor is from Texas still has her account there. It's a Bank of America, but it was bought, they bought another bank in 1993. She cannot go to the local branch here. If she puts her, tries to swipe her card, they can't read it <laughs> at the teller window. You mean and, her, her ATM card? They can't even read right. her ATM card. Right, and my friend, another friend from now, Dallas. It would seem so easy that, you know, when, when I go to the bank and I want to do banking, I run my my. ATM, not my debit card, but my ATM card through immediately, and it pulls up everything, right? And that's right. what should happen everywhere. If, it, if they can right. do it on the ATM machines, they can do it here. And people say, oh, all banks are bad. You know what? They may be bad in some ways. A teller may be occasionally negligent, but they are not all like Bank of America. I had people run tests for me. My little sister who banks at Wells Fargo went in San Francisco to a, to a branch here, a couple miles, miles from her house, with only her driver's license. And they said, Madam, we didn't say Madam because it's San Francisco. They said, we're very <laughs> sorry, girl, whatever. Um, we're very sorry. We can't give you money unless you have your, your bank card and you punch in your pin. Right. That's and what it should be. Case. Exactly. In a bare minimum. And the bank lawyer in the South, she said, if the teller knows you as a customer, you know, regular customer, they will give you money from your account. If, if they don't, she said they will do many, there are many different measures that they do take and can take. And she said, for example, they'll check your signature. They will pull up your signature card. This takes 30 seconds. Right. If for some reason they cannot pull up your signature card, it takes them two minutes to pull up a canceled check. But they have to look. Right. And, and the only reason, it seems to me, that Bank of America wouldn't look and do so on so many tests that were run for me and, and continue to be run for me is that they cannot. And, and I think that they cannot, because the, the usual reason it's not the money, it's the principle, it's always the money, that it's cheaper for them to let you take the hit. Right, right. Unless there is bad publicity or something like that, that, that gets the attention of their, like, yeah, like the show. 
Well, let me tell you how arrogant But let me they ask are. you, so, I got to ask you something, Amy, mm-hmm. so that people yes. understand this. So, first of all, the couple questions. It was a different woman at each of these, uh, at these seven different Bank of Americas. Good was question. That- because Bank of America will not give information to victims like me. And believe me, I tried. And this is just not my, my experience. I have a friend who is an editor of a major newspaper. He had $70,000 taken. He couldn't get any information on him. He's a newspaper editor. And so from what I know, there were two women, both African-American, one with the dental issues, uh, one in Who Texas. probably doesn't have them anymore. She has beautiful teeth now. Right, right, <laughs> thanks to me. Right. You know, and... Um, you did and your good one deed. In, <laughs> oh, great. One in Texas and one up in the middle of California near Sacramento. Okay. And now... Oh, sorry. No, no go ahead. No, go ahead. Okay. What I was going to say was the reason I found this out about Bank of America is that I have in the past, um, I have had success chasing perps. My car was stolen, and I tracked the guy who stole it for two and a half months through South Central L.A. and got it back. <laughs> I, I also caught a hit-and-run driver. Now, both of these people I had prosecuted. I'm a newspaper columnist. I'm a libertarian. I am not violent. I didn't shoot them. I didn't chase their children. I had them prosecuted. Right. And, and what I wanted to do, this woman, the, or these women, have um, identification in my name that, as you've told me, can be used for myriad things. There can be crimes committed in my name. Right. Medical identity theft. Horrible, horrible stuff. Right. And, in fact, some was tried. Uh, but these, these women, I wanted to catch them. I have well, not only I'm because like, they were, you know, hurting you, but they would hurt other people as well. Right. This is what we talked about, because I knew when you and I talked on the phone that I could get you to bring a case and probably get a huge settlement, but you told me I'd have to sign a confidentiality agreement, you know, probably. Sure. And, and I was not willing to get a payoff when I'm a person who's a big mouth anyway, and when it would mean I would keep silent and let all these other people be injured. Right, right. And so the same thing with the chasing the thief. Of course, I want my information protected this is not a woman who has only my driver's license, right. you know, that she made, which you can, by the way, make at MacArthur Park a few miles from my house for $150 in half right. an hour. Right, um, right. This is a woman who has a lot of information, a lot of people's information. So I said to Bank of America, okay, well, how can I get the video of this woman so I can go chase her? And Debbie was the first person who told me, Debbie, the associate manager in Dixon, said, you can't. She said, privacy. And I said, Privacy? <laughs> wait, privacy for wait, you mean privacy for the thief? Right. That is exactly what they meant. Bank of America denied me this tape. Now wait a oh, second. No, no. Now they, they have oh, as you and I had talked before, under penal code section five three oh point eight and also under the Fair Credit Reporting Act Fair Credit Reporting Act six oh nine E, yet you have a right as a victim to demand all of the documentation of the fraud, including videos, including audios, including written documentation. And not only can, are you supposed to be able to get it within 30 days of your request in writing, but you are also supposed to be able to get it for the law enforcement agency that you reported to. And right. so you weren't able to get it for either. No, and I, I met you too late because when this was going on, See, my, I have this book due. It was due August 1st. My book is now exactly the amount of time late that I spent working sure. on the Bank of America thing. And actually, it isn't just pursuing them. You know what it's like, the hell you go through 
calling credit bureaus. And guess what? And putting on credit freezes and everything else. Well, I am lucky. My friend Kathy Sype, who died, was very wise about finances. And in 2005, she told me to freeze my credit, freeze my credit bureau accounts, which I did. And this is the only reason that when these women went to Target and Kmart and Walmart and tried to get a credit card, that I got these letters in the mail, these chilling letters. Dear Ms. Alcon, we're so sorry we couldn't grant you instant credit at Target. (sighs) But you have a, I was like, oh my God, it's the best $30 I ever spent. And the second best was the $39.95 I spent for your book, Victim to Victor, with all these letters in it. (laughs) I mean, it's just like, you know, your life, you know, your life gets eaten. It's so horrible. It does. But so let, let's them, find out, do you, do you know exactly what they were doing now? What kind of a check did, were they using a fake no check. check from an... Uh, no, no, no. This no, is what's so sick. They were just... They, they, yeah, no, tell no, no, us exactly no how they did it, because people what have... These, what these people did, and I'll tell you how I think the information, they got my information, they went into a bank with a fake driver's license that you can make at MacArthur Park, say I'm your dry cleaner, you write me a check, I have your name, your address, and your phone number, and your account number, I can go down and in half an hour make your driver's license and clean out your bank account. All these women had was the fake driver's license and the account number. They used a blank slip from the bank to clean out my account. Okay, so they filled out one of those uh, slips that you just would take the money out of the bank. They didn't even yeah. have a real check, right? Right. Now, so they would have had to have your account number, which is easy to see on the bottom of a check, but it's also easy to see if they're working in a company that received your check or if they worked in the bank or had a friend that worked in the bank. Okay, let me tell you something. I told you I'm a little crazy about my security. Right. I don't write checks. My assistant, my landlord, my masseuse, my French teacher, and I have um, some insurance I pay with a check, but actually I even checked that out about, you know, whether they can access it. I pay my taxes with a check. Um, I checked out the DMV, my auto insurer, the franchise tax board, the only place that had all the information accessible to the average employee um, that these thieves had was the bank. Okay, so um, they had the, your driver's license. Did they use your driver's license number? They used my real number. And here's the deal. April 2nd, I went into the bank to put money in my IRA. I saw online later that it's not standard procedure what they did, which is to ask me to update my driver's license information, my number. Now, anytime anyone asks me for a number of, you know, one of these data, personal data things, right. I get queasy. Right. But I thought I have to do it. I have to put money in my IRA. So I gave Well, them the Patriot the Act, you know, if you were opening an account for the first time, the Patriot Act does require that we provide, you know, government identification, but not if you've already got an exactly. account. Exactly. And there are two things, longtime customer... And I was going doing it in bank. And the reason I had to do that is because the year before I'd put money in because of my credit freeze. They apparently check your credit when you put your, like, measly $4,000 as a middle-class person into your IRA. Who, you know, who checks like, your gonna, credit? The bank. Last year, Bank <laughs> of America checked my credit. And so the, the, my IRA deposit didn't go through because I had a credit freeze on. Yeah, but, you, you know, that? the credit freeze only affects you with new companies, you're, the companies that you're already doing business with have a right to see your credit report as an account review. The credit freeze does not touch that. Well, okay, it only it is. Oh no, no, no! It only affects people when they're trying to get new credit. It does not affect things like the IRS. It doesn't affect any of your present creditors who already have a business relationship with you. Well, 
Oddly, they, they said that, and so I had to go So that's the strange that they even said yeah. that. Oh, I have a letter saying that. And also, can you believe you put the IRA deposit in over the phone, okay, and you do that in time and everything. Like 20 days later, I get a letter. They couldn't call. You know, I mean, yeah. they're, they're, they've been sloppy every step of the way, and, and I was so shocked. And, you know, part of the thing that, that I'm so angry about I'm a libertarian, so you can run your business, as far as I'm concerned, any way you want. What you can't do to me is lie about it. You can't say we have multiple layers of security, then give out my money on seven different occasions to women with only a fake driver's license in my name. Right. You can't do that. It's wrong. It's horrible. And I even I started sending these. I faxed a blog item to the head of Bank of America, Kenneth D. Lewis, that said, is your money safer in a mason jar buried in your backyard than at B of A? <laughs> People and, start to think that, don't they? Well, you know what? I actually, I mean, I, th- this is why I'm doing your show. I think it's so important to get the information out that um, I think people have a right to know. I certainly wouldn't have banked there, you know, had I known that this is the level of their security. Oh, and get this. I meant to change. I'm writing a book day and night like this greased madwoman now because it's so overdue thanks to the B of A thing. But, I mean, I meant to switch my account. They actually fired me as a customer for, for complaining a little too bitterly that they neglected their fiduciary duty to me. They sent me a letter saying that I had to be out of the bank. I actually have it here. Oh, goodness. It's so amazing. So they, they said, said, please close the account? Or what is it exactly? This horrible woman, Narita Claudius, who sounds kind of like a kindergarten teacher dealing with, with you know, psychotics. Um, she said, however, since your subsequent communications have repeatedly emphasized that the bank is not serving your banking needs, we have decided to terminate your relation, our relationship as of July 31, 2008. Now, Narita Claudius knew full well, because I told her many times, my book was due August 1st. So in the middle of having a book due, I had to research what bank I was going to move all my money. All my money in the whole world was at Bank of America for 20 years. Oh, goodness. They're so horrible. Well, let me tell you something. This is is a a really important point that you're making because what we're finding out now with all these big databases are if you complain, these companies will blackball you, not only from their own company, but they'll share it with other companies. A friend of mine went to the Hotel Bel Air, and you went there for years, every year for, I don't know, 20 years. Loved right. that place. It's an expensive hotel. And one time they went there a couple of years ago, I think it was two years ago, and they had a terrible time. They had terrible service. They had mold in the room, on and on and on, and, and they complained, and they told them, never come back here. And they're blackballing them. That's and horrible. and what's happening now, what I've heard about, is that there's actually databases of people who complain. And so <laughs> I'm on them. <laughs> yeah. And and what could happen is you could literally find yourself without a bank to go to because you complained. Uh, it, it's insane. outrageous. That's insane. It is it, it is insane. It's it's you know, what can I tell you? But I, I think that there is something to be said about that is and did you tell uh, the chairman of the board that that, in fact, that you were fired or that you were told that you couldn't have that account? Did you oh, tell them in the I letter, too? I started copying him on these emails to this horrible woman, Narita Claudius, because, you know, here I was trying to protect myself. She wouldn't give me information that I needed. She wouldn't respond to me. She finally told me that I would, she would only speak to me by email, you know. And so I started emailing, just copying him, saying, you know, for example, I wanted to get the document 
which you told me I could have under the law, right. showing where my, IRA, my um, driver's license information was entered when I put my IRA in. Right. I wanted to see where it was entered. I called the bank. I asked for it. They said they'd fax it to me. Called again. I called four times. They didn't send it. Finally, I go there, and the guy who's the bank manager says, we actually were told that only Narita Claudius can communicate with you. Well, might someone have actually dropped me a little note about that? So instead, I'm wasting my time. I'm so upset. And at this point, um, I am now not sleeping. And, and I have to tell you, the way some people are talented at soccer or ballroom dancing, I am talented at sleeping. I can sleep. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. I could fall asleep right. I could put the phone down and sleep for 10 minutes. I'm very good. So the fact that I couldn't fall asleep at night and then I wake up in the middle of the night with these questions like, oh, my God, I wonder if the women imitated my signature. Right. So I email Narita Claudius at like 3 in the morning because I'm awake, and I say, notice the time on here. You know, I'm so upset about this. I wake up every night with some new question. Um, and, so, of course, she doesn't get back to me. Right. I emailed the fraud investigator. I mean, so I don't hear. And so finally, like a while later, maybe it was like a week or something, she emails me to say no. They didn't. Of course, no one's providing me with any of this information, like the stuff that I've asked for, you know, the slips or anything. Right. You know, I'm just sitting there waiting for the stuff. Eventually, she sent me, like, much, much later, she sent me some, like, stuff that wasn't what I asked for, but showed some, I don't know, like my deposit slip or something from my IRA. You know, they just, they don't want to do anything. And, in fact, the idea that you would complain, instead of just taking it, bending over like a docile little victim, they actually... Um, they, they, I think they were actually stunned and rather peeved that, that I wasn't behaving like their usual victims, which is just to say, okay, you gave me the money back. And um, as you know, too, part of the problem is that the bank is considered the victim. Right. You know, I'm not, they gave me the money back, so I'm not considered the victim, even though I believe from the way their negligence in giving out, you know, giving out money to people with just the most minimum information, just a fake driver's license, I think thieves have to know this. And it makes it very exactly. Tough. They do know this. They are taking advantage of a very easy system. That's right. exactly and right. Why take advantage of a WAMU customer when WAMU is going to maybe check you a certain way? You know, and the, the Bank of America, you can just walk in. In fact, a guy told me that just banks within LA, he's gone to different banks. He's a friend of mine who's a realtor. Where he goes, he banks at one bank, and he's gone to others, and they can't pull up his information, same as they can't for my neighbor who's from Texas. Right. And, I mean, this is outrageous, outrageous, and such a breach. And I don't know if it's something that is considered criminal. I'd love to see these executives from B of A who allow this go to jail. Or let it happen to them, you know. That's the what? thing, you know, if they could see it happen to them. Oh, let me oh, ask wait, you, let's go back. You. Wait, let me, let oh, me go back okay. to you went to the police department. Yeah. And you oh. went in Los Angeles, correct? Yeah. And you made a police report, correct? Yeah. yeah. And w weren't you told by the Bank of America that they were investigating and they were cooperating <sighs> with the police? This is the best. Okay. The whole police report thing, I had this huge fight with Bank of America. I know something about crime. My boyfriend works for a crime novelist. We have friends in the FBI. I have a, my, one of my close friends is a cop. You have to get... You're um, the criminal very quickly. That's why they call that show the first 48, getting a homicide um, perp. You have to find them pretty much in the first 48 hours or it's lost. Right. You know, and so I wanted to get in there and make a police report that night, right, right after I zipped to the police station, right after I finished the Bank of America changing my accounts. They said, you can't until you have a letter of fraud from the bank because you could be just somebody. It could be your friend who took your money out and blah, blah, blah. What? So, okay. 
Oh my I gosh! Sense, which is I which sense. is not the case under five three zero point five of the penal code. Oh, sorry, I wish I knew you when I start, when this thing started. So I I end up spending two days screaming at these stupid stupid people on the phone. By the end, in the corporate fraud division, they're downtown in L.A. One of the one was a VP. She used language like "had did it." Oh, it's so amazing. Oh no! And, and no, they're those people who don't. It wasn't their fault. They were in jobs sort of like beyond. They needed to be thinkers, and they weren't. They just followed procedure, you know. And I just sat there fighting for days. Finally, got the fraud letter. I think it was on Friday the thirtieth, you know. After fighting on the phone, you know, for these days and days and days, and I kept saying, just you know, fax me something like a temporary thing, saying, you know, that you know, this woman knew Debbie, saw that the woman was African American, go on the internet. I have red hair. I'm the, probably the whitest person anyone knows. I look like whiteout, you know? Um, obviously, I'm not black. That one woman, we know that one of these people was black. I'm not black. Okay, it's easy. Write a one-word, one-line facts so I can pursue this. But you know what? I suspect they didn't want me to pursue this. And part of the reason I suspect that they didn't want me to have the tape, I would have seen with how just easily they handed over my money. Right. If they even checked. By the way, my boyfriend... When he ran the test for me in Detroit, he's very smart. He went there. I told him to replicate what the thieves did, which is basically go in, only a driver's license, no bank card, only a slip from the bank, you know, from the center of the bank, and there's a blank account slip to withdraw money, right. and then to sign differently. Right. He goes to the window. He said, I need to withdraw money from my account in California. She said, oh, California, that's a different form. Gives him the form. He fills it out. Because he's smart, he never gives the woman his driver's license. He holds it in his hand, slips the slip under, she gives him the money. She never looked at his driver's license. Was this from your account? No, from his. Oh, from his account, right. But she doesn't know. He could be, he could, like anybody else, have gotten his own name on a, you know, this could be a thief who got the license at MacArthur Park. Right. You know, she never checked. And I suspect, I could be wrong, this is just my guess, that why would you check something if you know it's impossible to check? Right. You know, if you can't look at his information, why fake it? Right. You know, he's just a guy. He's not a bank investigator. So, you know, I found this stuff out over and over and over again. But let me get back to this thing about the police because I want, if people sure. are listening to this, you have to know that you are entitled to a police report, What it, what state you're in, but especially in California, you don't have to get any documentation of fraud from any bank, from any credit reporting agency, because you need that police report in order to actually make the fraud report with the bank. So they were telling you the opposite. And if this ever happens to anybody who's listening, you go right to the chief of police, you tell them you are want to make a police report pursuant to 530.5 through 530.8 of the California Penal Code. All right. Very, very important. You are entitled to a police report without that craziness. That's what you needed to be able to even clean up the mess. And you need that police report to ask for the documentation of the fraud. And then you can help police. Now, but isn't it true that when you called the police, they told you that the Bank of America had not cooperated with them? Isn't that Oh, it's amazing. So, okay, so this woman tells me that they, Narita Claudius, said that their investigators were working with the police. Now, I know how long things take and how the police work. Um, And so I actually called, I tracked down where the, the report was. 
and they get they get so many of these every week. Like they're delivered by steam shovels. They get so many <laughs> the LAPD. Um, so I called. They hadn't even opened the file. They hadn't even looked at it. They weren't working with anybody. They hadn't even looked at it. And in fact, most of these cases, the police never investigate. I actually got coached by a detective downtown on how to schmooze the detective into thinking my case was more solvable than most. Right. And I, that's probably the only reason they actually even sent this out to be investigated. It's only, only about 10% of the cases that are reported are ever investigated. And of those 10%, only about 10% of those are prosecuted. So you're absolutely right. It's so horrible. And I asked, the, I asked B of A through this horrible Narita Claudius to um, tell me, you know, had they investigated the, the employees at the bank, at B of A? And, I mean, she said that they had. Well, how do I know? I mean, they, they're saying that they have multiple layers of security, and we see the reality of their security. So, I mean, I'm just supposed to believe them. They, they give out no information. And what I've been doing now, I actually put an ad on Craigslist. The only way to have people at that bank investigated is for me to find other victims of identity theft, to, to you know, find simpler, similar stories, put them together like five people and go to the detectives and say, look, here are five people who had the same thing happen. Obviously, maybe there's a ring. Can you look at it? For me just to have this problem, I'm just like, oh, whatever. You know, yeah, you and, you know, half the planet. Well, let me tell you that the Federal Trade Commission has a complaint department for identity theft. And you can actually call or you can write to the Federal Trade Commission, and they are gathering that information, and they didn't want to make it public. But Berkeley, through Chris Hoofnigel, has actually gathered information about complaints against banks. And so I think that, that you can get a lot of that information through Chris and, you know, contacting him to see what other people had complaints against the bank and what the, what types of complaints those are. I think it's very important that this is public because if it's public, I think they will make a difference. It will They will change. Right. I want to just introduce you again. We're speaking with Amy Algen, who is an award-winning syndicated columnist who, whose uh, advice column, The Advice Goddess, appears in over 100 newspapers nationwide. She has a hysterical column that I read often through the Orange County Register, and I think you can read it wherever you are, and she has been the victim of identity theft, and as you can hear from the type of person she is, she's an investigative journalist. She is trying to investigate this. She's trying to make changes. So we're getting back to some of the questions. Amy, you know, you and I talked about the fact that November 1st, 2008, all banks, all financial industry companies must be compliant with the what we call the red flag rules of the Fair and Accurate Credit Transactions Act. And they have to have an identity theft handbook that is actually a prevention handbook that delineates all the types of red flags and what they're going to do to protect people. You have probably yourself a list uh, of what kind of red flags they should be looking at that they have to be dealing with by November 1st to be compliant. Well, and, uh, go ahead. I mean, will they, will they actually need to change this stuff and look for, I mean, I looked at the red flag rules, and I don't know if, it, if they'll actually have to have the tellers ask for any more than they're asking for. It looked like they just have to say that they implemented a program. It seems sort of toothless, but, I mean, I'm not... 
Yeah, the, the program order. has to actually have, and, and maybe they don't have to make it public except to the regulators, but the, they have to have training and they have to really say, how are we going to implement these red flag rules? In other words, how are we going to verify identity? How are we going to look? Are we going to look at the signature and verify the signature? How about even a picture coming up? You know, right. I wouldn't have a problem going to my own bank and having a picture. As long as that picture was only used for that purpose and it wasn't a biometric picture, I wouldn't have a problem if my picture came up if I want to go to a Bank of America in North Carolina and when I'm on vacation. I really wouldn't have a problem with them doing that if it was only used for that purpose. So right. there are many things that you and I as lay people could think of that they could do. Yeah, I mean, I just really um, would like to have some measures taken to make me safe, and, and none were taken in this case. And um, I actually, I, I feel very um, sort of um, victim-y just because I don't think there's a lot of hope of people actually in, who are supposed to be the watchdogs taking notice of this. I've reported it so far. I've reported it per your advice to the Comptroller of the Currency. Um, I sent them a 12-page fax with my blog post about discovering that the computers aren't connected. And then I actually sent it to the House Finance Committee and the Senate Banking Committee and Jerry Brown's office. And actually yesterday I just sent it to the FBI. But I just, you know, I think it, with all this collapse, financial collapse going on in the country, is anybody actually going to care that the average person is going to have their life so screwed up, uh, you know, potentially because of this? Right. You know, Byron Ecojito, who was on our show, he wrote Zero Day Threat, and he talks about how the financial industry does facilitate the crime of identity theft and how it's only going to get worse. So he's another person to, to talk to because he writes for USA Today and does articles like this. And I think if you're listening to this and you've had a problem with the Bank of America, you can write to Amy. Amy, we should also give your advice uh, website. It's you want to give that for us? It's oh, sure. It's advicegoddess.com. And I would like to suggest to people they go on my blog and search Bank of America because there's actually plenty of information about this, um, including um, just the details of these tests that my boyfriend ran. Some other girls ran in the South where they gave out well, a girl was blonde and thin and the other one was dark-haired and heavy, and she went in with the other girl's driver's license just handed over the money. Right. You know, amazing. Well, first you were victimized by the imposter, and they never caught her, did they? No, but actually, I'll tell you something. I feel more victimized by the bank for not letting me do what it takes to protect myself and other people. Right. You know, because I would have, as somebody who's caught a car thief and a hit-and-run driver, track them down. You know, I can certainly find this woman, actually, the last place she did this, there was Auburn and Dixon City, and one, they're both these communities near Sacramento, and had I gotten there fast, one is a population has 311 African-Americans, the other one is 84. How hard can it be to find, as she was described to me, a heavy African-American woman with missing front teeth? You know, this is not a lot of the population there. And I and, don't know why that, you know, if they have a video and they can do stills of it, those should go to law enforcement because then law enforcement can share this with the Sacramento office and all of the other offices because if they're did. If these people did this to you, you can be sure they did it to somebody else. Oh, yeah, and you know what? Those people, unlike me, don't have a, have a freeze in their credit bureau accounts. They're going, you know, those women are going to target on somebody else's credit report right now and buying plasma screens, and that person's going to be spending much of their next year trying to convince Target and all these other people that they didn't buy the TV or whatever. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, you were talking about how you were such a private person before this happened to you. 
What do you do anything differently now? You know, <laughs> no, because I was always so security conscious. If there's not really anything I do differently because don't use debit cards, don't write checks. Um, shred I everything? <laughs> oh, I shred everything, but actually, no, I don't. I store my financial records because I... In locked cabinets? Yeah, oh, locked, locked everything because they're way locked. Um, because I watch CSI, I see, you know, like some movie star looking blonde girl, and she's there with a magnifying glass piecing stuff back together. Right, right. You know, and so I'm so careful, but still I was already victimized. Oh, one thing I did do, I put passwords in all my credit card accounts. Yes. So you cannot even talk to my credit card person, my company, unless you first give the password. So that's one thing. But really, and I, you know, I, I already have a credit freeze, so the fraud alert, you told me, too, that they don't always check, you know, businesses don't always check. And Chris Huffnagel, who I talked to, and I think you told me this, too, that you can, you can be a victim of a crime. They can commit a crime in your name. Yes. And that you need to, oh, in fact, you said this, to look at your criminal record because you could be arrested, you could be speeding or something, not that I speed, but I'm pulled over and thrown in jail. I could be murdered in jail because some woman with missing teeth took money out of my bank account and Bank America didn't let me catch her. Right. Or medical identity theft. Maybe somebody can oh. go in and, and use your name and your use that driver's license and get medical care. And then not only are you going to be saddled with that bill later when they get to you, but also maybe she has AIDS. Maybe she has some disease right. that then will affect your whole medical right. profile. And, and I will tell you, or, overall, she could, or someone could work under your name. Someone could get a job as a journalist under your name. They could do all of this stuff. And so to answer your question about what's changed, I have a general sense of unease that's now a part, a permanent part of my life. About once or twice a week, I wonder, has someone rented an apartment in my name? Should I call my um, health insurer to see if somebody's trying to get health insurance in my name? I'm not a frady cat person, but I actually become a person. My life has been kidnapped by Bank of America's negligence. Their spectacular negligence, not doing the most minimum due diligence. If they had done it the first time, they have security guards in these banks. Had they seen that, oh, this woman, the signature doesn't match, they could have held her for the police. You know, and that locker, that, that um, license would be in a police evidence locker now, and I would be sleeping better. Yeah. Well, I think one of the problems is this, is that, Someone could have seen your signature somewhere and even copied it. So that isn't even enough. You know, they have to do more. They, right. they really do have to do more verification when you're trying to cash a check or you're trying to take money out of the bank. If you're trying to put money into the bank, it's a little bit different. But if you're trying right. to take money out of the bank or you're trying to cash a check, I mean, there's, there's other ploys, too. Somebody uses your checking account number and then... Uh, goes into another bank, all right, and then they have their friend cash that check, and then your money is gone, right? Right. I mean, anybody can copy your checking account number from the bottom of the check and use that check and cash that check, and they're not checking that either. So people don't realize that the check itself, no one looks, you know, your bank does not look at those checks. They run it through the microreader. Right. And they don't even look so. So in other words, I have seen checks by some of my victim clients who maybe their name is Tom Jones, right? But the check right. actually says like Sally Jones or Sally Smith. And the bank, let's say it's a, a WAMU bank, but it says Bank of America. And that that check 
will actually siphon the money out of the bank, even if it, everything on the bank is wrong except for right. the actual checking right. account number. So, friend, you know, this is, this is a problem. My friend who had the 70 grand taken, they had ID that was not even in his name. Like, say that his name was Don Brown. They had it in the name Don Green. And he was from Chino instead of Sherman Oaks. And none of this stuff, nobody, not, nothing mattered. It's incredible, the negligence. Now, did he get his 70000 back? He did, but, you know, there was a lot of fighting. He was very stressed out. He never found out much about how the money was taken. They withhold information. I believe that the department where they have all these people, you know, who are, you know, the woman who said had did it, who was a VP, that they purposely have these sort of functionaries there who can't answer your questions, who are intellectually incapable, some of them, of answering it. I I wrote in my notes that one woman talking to her was like talking to a houseplant. Not to be mean because she didn't read my notes, but it was, and that's why it was so frustrating and horrible. So you're completely victimized again and again and again by the treatment of the bank. Right, right. And and And, that's what, you know, I've talked about this for years since the late 90s when I became a victim and I had so many other victims I was helping. First, you're victimized by the bad guy who's taking advantage of an easy system. Then you're victimized by law enforcement who doesn't help or, in your case, who wouldn't even take a report. Then you're victimized by all the financial industry who really doesn't care and doesn't want to give you any information because it'll show their negligence. And then they may even think that you're the fraudster. I've had many times where people are, they, they're given their money back after money was stolen out of their account. And then they open up a new account and then my money is siphoned out and they say, you know what? We really think you were a co-conspirator. <laughs> so, I mean, you did get your money back and people yeah. will say to you, well, Okay, Amy, so you got your money back, and, and the bank's a victim, too. What do you say to that? <laughs> the bank's a victim. The bank, the bank is not a victim. The bank is a, a, a very canny business. They are maximizing their profits um, by not doing the requisite um, stuff they need to do to protect their customers. Um, I believe, I, I like the work of a guy named Tegu, who is a British economist, who says that um, the cost of doing business must be factored into your, prof- your profits. Why is the cost of protecting the customers not factored in? These people have my, all my information. I have entrusted them with my money, every cent I ever earn. Now I'm not with them anymore. But in all this personal financial information, and when you're saying that about the signature, I don't sign my signature easily. I don't give out my birth date. I'm much more conservative about that stuff than most people. And here that bank just... You know, somehow all that was just breached, and I really do believe from my investigation, since they were the only place that had everything that was accessible, that it came through them. But I can't find that out. Right, right. And and at this point, you may be able to someday find it out, but hopefully the fact that you brought this up and brought this to the light, they will start making a change. And. What I would suggest that you do, and this is what I do when I'm dealing with banks, not just the Bank of America, but other banks that have done similar things, is write them a list of what they should be doing. You know, make the suggestions as what they should be doing. So let's talk about what some of the things that they should. Well, Lloyd says we only have a couple more minutes. So what I think would be real helpful is make a list on your blog and say this is what the financial industry should be doing, and anyone who has additional ideas, let's make a longer list, and then let's send it to the Federal Trade Commission. Let's send it to the controller of the con- currency and see if they can implement some of these things. Let's let's focus on the positive, because you've already experienced all of the negative act, 
you know, activities that, that were forced upon you. I wanted Can I to ask you? Yeah. Oh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I just want to ask you one thing about the Comptroller of the Currency. Here he is, you know, I thought, great, the Guardian. And I actually, I looked him up, and I found that he used to be the head of the banking lobby. Yeah, there... Should there, I be disturbed by that? Well, you know, the truth of the matter is, is that they, they are somewhat in bed together. So that that's why I'm saying to put this on the blog, get this in the newspaper, make it a, a big list of what should be done. I think if we focus on the positive, we might get more done. As you know, getting some legislation passed to make things change. You know, having the pol- embarrassing them enough that they will want to change when we get enough people together to to share in ideas. Lloyd only says we only have a couple minutes left. I want you to just tell us about your new book, Revengerella. Oh, in fact, there's a chapter on Bank of America, how they behaved and how another business behaved. The good guys behaved in a similar situation where they gave me videotape. My book is called Revengerella, One Woman's Battle to Beat Some Manners into Impolite Society. And it's about all these different kinds of rudeness, personal and corporate, from people on cell phones to Bank of America allowing me to be violated this way, um, to underparented children. And I actually show, in many cases, how I've actually gotten some kind of justice um, when people are behaving badly. And I sometimes embarrass some of my blog on what I call a blog slapping, that I'll take rude people's pictures and post them as a way to sort of expose them to air and to show people who are rude that they can't behave this way without retribution. Wow, that's a little scary, isn't it? <laughs> well, I'm scared. I mean, I don't, you know, there's an old eye for an eye. You know, right. you don't run over someone's dog because they're ra- loud on a cell phone. But um, I have in the past posted someone, someone shouted out her phone number and personal information, so I posted it on my blog. She obviously is shouting it and wants people to have it, so <laughs> there you have it. And so now more people have it than those people she was bothering in the cafe. You have and to I, read this book by um, Dan Solove, who wrote The Future of, Inter- of Reputation on the Internet, and he talks about how we put this stuff up there, and, you know, in the old days, if you lived in a small society, if somebody said, look what this person did, they, you know, everybody shunned them, and then they changed their habits. But in this case, when you put something on the Internet, it's there forever. Right. And, you know, I don't know. It's, it's a scary time. Lloyd says that we don't have any more time. Amy, we'll have to have you back and, and find out all the good things that you're doing, especially when you have your book. When it comes out, we'll have it on, and we'll talk about the book, and we'll talk about all the great things that you're doing, okay? Oh, thanks. It's a total pleasure. Thank you so much. All right. And give your website again, because you'll, you're oh, going to have that website you. on the uh, with your book as well, correct? Oh, yeah. AdviceGoddess.com. Okay. Very good. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. All right. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank, your host. Join us every week from 5 to 6 p.m. right here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Please also visit our website to see our future guests, listen to archived interviews, and download podcasts at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Thank you so much, Lloyd, and join us next week. Good night. Views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. Hi, I'm Mari Frank, host of Privacy Piracy, which airs right here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. We air every Wednesday from 5 to 6 p.m. I'm also so pleased to present the weekly segment of Orange County Sheriff News and Safety Tips. 
And today we actually have a friend of mine, Sergeant Jim Ellis. He's been a reserve deputy with the Orange County Sheriff Department for the past six years. He's assigned to the Community Services Division and provides internet safety presentations to local schools and the community of Orange County. We're so thrilled to have him. Hi, Jim. Hi. So tell us about the internet safety program and who runs it. Well, the internet safety program was developed by the Orange County Sheriff's Community Services Division under the Reserve Bureau in an attempt to meet the growing needs of the parents and students of Orange County. We have developed a series of presentation modules that can be tailored to meet the needs of the community we serve. These presentations are given at a variety of venues such as PTA, Community Watch, and city-sponsored crime prevention forums. We have the ability to manipulate these modules on a case-by-case basis, depending on the topics and areas of interest expressed by the event coordinators. Some examples of the modules used are cyberbullying, MySpace, child predators, and identity theft. We have subject matter experts addressing these topics during the presentations. We do have the ability to go live on the Internet and demonstrate some of the social networking websites like MySpace, Craigslist, YouTube, and others. Our team provides these presentations free of charge to the public, and as we always say to our audience, we go wherever we're invited. So just give us the website and the telephone number. For more information, you can contact the Community Services Division at at 714-566-2711 or go to the Orange County Sheriff's website at www.ocsd.org under Public Information and click on the topic Internet Safety Program. Thanks, Jim.